Hello, church. How's everybody today? I think we got some energy in the room. I heard you worshiping backstage, and uh, I'm excited that you're here today. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Epic, and we're so glad that you have chosen uh, Mother's Day to gather together and to worship with your family. And uh, we just appreciate you being on campus. For those of you that are checking us out online and tuning in today from wherever you're at, we want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are tuning in today. And thank you for joining us um, online as well. Uh, I get the privilege to wrap up our current sermon series called Messy. Everybody say Messy. What we've learned in this series is that um, Jesus ultimately steps towards the messes in our lives and, and helps to clean up those situations. And if you've missed any of the, uh, of the messages in this series, let me encourage you to go back to our social media platforms, our website. They're all archived there. Uh, and check out those previous messages so that uh, you can get a great picture uh, of what Jesus does for us when we find ourselves in, in some messy situations. And today we're going to dive into um, a passage of scripture in Luke chapter number seven uh, to wrap up this series. But just to kind of give you a little bit of perspective, uh, we don't have time to read the whole passage today. So I want to encourage you to read the entire um, chapter of Luke chapter number seven this week. Matter of fact, if you'll pick up our spiritual growth challenge on your way out in the lobby. If you're watching online, you can download that from our website. There's a great reading plan for you this week and Luke chapter seven is on there. But what you're gonna find when you read the entire chapter is there, there are four encounters that Jesus has with people in, who find themselves in messy situations. As a matter of fact, they're what I call real life messy situations. And uh, in the first part of the chapter, you'll find that there's this Roman centurion uh, who's in charge of, uh, of leading the military of the Roman Empire. He actually has a, a servant that is dying and this servant is very special to him. So he calls for Jesus to come and, and, and to heal his servant. Uh, so he found himself in a desperate situation, in a messy situation. We're going to look at verses 11 through 17 in just a minute. But in verses 18, down through about verses number 35 or so, you'll find a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the one that uh, God called to go before Jesus to announce to the whole world that the Messiah is coming, that Jesus, the Son of God, is coming to the nation of Israel and to the rest of the world. And, and, and John finds himself in this messy situation where he is doubting if Jesus really is who that Jesus says that he is. And he's questioning whether or not this Jesus that everybody's talking about and everybody flock, is flocking to hear, he's questioning whether or not he's the, he's the real deal. And in the last part of the chapter, you'll find Jesus having dinner at a religious leader's uh, home. And this woman, the Bible calls her a sinful woman. Most Bible scholars and theologians believe that she probably was the town prostitute and everybody knew who she was, but she showed up at the house of that, that leader that day and she knew Jesus was going to be there and she was broken in the mess of her life and she realized that if she could just get into Jesus' presence, that he could help clean up her mess. 
And, and I want to encourage you to read the, in chapter, uh, the entire chapter of Luke, number, uh, Luke chapter number seven because there's some amazing real life messy situations that we see the nature and the character of Jesus on display. And the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just like Jesus stepped toward every one of those people in Luke chapter number seven and every other encounter that we've looked at in this particular series, here's what I want you to know today. No matter how messy you, your life gets, and sometimes we cause the mess ourselves. Sometimes other things happen in our life that cause messy situations. But what we need to know and understand is that Jesus in his compassion for us and his love for us always steps towards uh, the messy situations of, of our life and his desires to ultimately clean us up. Uh, today in Luke cha er, chapter number seven, verses 11 through 17, uh, I've titled this message, uh, Jesus Compassion for our messy life, for Jesus' compassion for our ultimate mess, because Jesus has this encounter with a mother, and this mother has, has lost her son to death. And so, so we're going to unpack how Jesus has compassion for this mother in Luke chapter uh, number seven. And here's the thing about Jesus' compassion. Jesus' compassion doesn't pick and choose who he desires to step towards and help clean up their life. Jesus in his compassion just ministers to everybody who has a need. So if there's something that's going on in your life today and it's a messy situation, here's what we want you to know at Epic. We want you to know that it is Jesus's desire to step towards you in your mess and to help you clean that mess up. And in many cases, let him be the one who can clean up your ultimate Mess, And that's exactly what we're going we're gonna to talk about today. So let me ask you a question as we begin today. How many of you have ever found yourself in a desperate situation? Let me see your hands. If you're on, on campus, if you don't mind, raise your hands. All right, all over the room today. If you're watching online, uh, you can raise your hand as well, okay? I know that many of us find ourselves in, in desperate situations, and if you found yourself in a desperate situation, I would dare say that it probably was a, was a messy situation. And as we think about this idea of despair, I want us to kind of get in our mind what that really means. So I want to give you three simple definitions. Matter of fact, you can Google this and uh, look on Webster's Dictionary. You'll find these three definitions of despair, okay? The first definition that I want us to hang our hat on today is this idea uh, uh, it is utter loss of hope. The second definition is that it is a cause of hopelessness. And then the third definition uh, is that um, to lose all hope or to lose all confidence. So what's the common theme in those three definitions? The loss of hope, right? Okay. And maybe you found yourself in a, in a desperate situation where there has been a, a loss of hope, or maybe you're in a situation right now where there has been an utter loss or a desperate loss of hope or confidence, and you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the answer to the mess is really all about. If that's you, I can identify with you today. And let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer if I can do that today. I know today is Mother's Day and we've just celebrated some, uh, some, some new children that 
uh, have been born into this world in the, in, in the last couple of years and moms and dads who are committing themselves to raise those children and to teach them about Jesus and to love them and serve them and, and, and help them to grow to be everything that God wants them to be. And many of you have gathered together today with your family to come to church because you wanted to be with mom. And I'm super grateful that you chose to do that. Many of you have plans after you leave here today to go to mom's house maybe or take mom out to dinner. And that's all well and that's all great and that's appropriate. And I hope you have a great, great Mother's Day with your friends and with your family. But can I just be real with you today for just a second? I don't want to preach this message that I'm going to preach in just a second. Because Mother's Day is not a great day for me. And maybe there's somebody here or somebody watching us all online. And you know what? Mother's Day is not a great day for you either because you don't get to spend time with your mom. And you don't get to see your mom. So here's my messy story as, as we head into Luke chapter 7 today. Let me just tell you, today's not going to be a typical Mother's Day message. Um, today's going to kind of be a heavy message. And I'll be very transparent with you today. I don't want to preach this message. Matter of fact, I've argued with God for about five weeks that, God, I don't want to preach this message. But here's what he's convinced me of. He's convinced me that there's either somebody on campus or there's somebody that's watching us online who desperately needs to hear that Jesus desires to step towards your mess and to help clean it up. And if you are in a desperate situation today, uh, or you find yourself in a desperate situation, I hope that today's message will, some, will be something that will bring some hope to your life. Um, so here's my messy story for today. Uh, no poop stories from Pastor Brian, okay? If, if you want to know what that's like, go listen to our previous messages on our social media platforms, Okay. Uh, but in November of 2019, specifically November the 18th of 2019, uh, me and my family found ourselves in a very desperate situation, literally without hope and without confidence. And it surrounded my mom. So I'm going to use my mom as an illustration today to help us understand this story we're going to unpack in just a moment. But on November the 18th in 2019, I'll backtrack a little bit to just a few weeks prior to my mom's 73rd birthday. Her birthday is October the 27th, 1946. And just a few weeks prior to my mother's 73rd birthday in 2019, she got a diagnosis that totally blew us out of the water and we didn't see coming, didn't have a clue that anything was going on in her body. But she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And if you know anything about cancer, you know how messy that it is. And we have a history of cancer in our family. My father passed away in 2004 of, of stage four lung cancer. And it was a messy situation. But uh, uh, just a few weeks prior to my mother's 73rd birthday, she was diagnosed with colon cancer. She made the decision to at least try one round of chemotherapy treatment uh, to see how her body would react and respond and see if it would make a difference in the tumor that was in her colon and was causing the blockage and, and everything that was going on. So she decided to have at least one round of chemo. And, and after having that first round of chemo, she became violently sick and ill. And the morning of November 18, 2019, I'm sitting in my office. I was just barely on the job at Epic. I'd been here about two months. 
And I was sitting in my office over at PC3 when our offices were still over there. My sister called. She said, Brian, I'm on the way to the hospital with mom. She's violently sick and she's, something's wrong. So immediately, you know, we started praying. I talked to mom for a second and, and tried to encourage her and, and love on her. And um, just waited anxiously to hear, you know, what the outcome was. And I'll never forget the phone call that I got that afternoon, about the middle of the afternoon. And when I picked up the phone, my, my sister my older brother, my mother, who was barely coherent, and a surgeon was on the other line, a surgeon that I'd never met. And basically, in about five minutes' time, that surgeon told us what had happened uh, to, mom, to mom. They had done some tests and done some scopes and some exploratory surgery. And basically what happened is that the chemotherapy that she had just finished, it went straight to the tumor, which is what it's supposed to do to help shrink it or kill it, but it also perforated and tore her colon. So literally her body was being poisoned with chemotherapy and her own human waste. I guess I do got a poop story today, don't I? <laughs> um, and he explained, your mom needs life-saving surgery like right now. And if I don't, go in there and see if there's something I can do, she very well may not make it through the day. And we found ourselves in a desperate situation. And in about five minutes' time, I, I basically uh, said anything I, and everything I wanted to say to my mom, and I kind of told her that, Mom, if you don't make it through surgery, how much I loved her, how much I appreciated her, and uh, what an amazing mother she was to me. Not knowing if she was going to make it through the surgery and even to the rest of the day. Um, I want to show you a picture of uh, a very modest picture of my mother hours after that surgery, Layden, and she would kill me today if she knew that I was, if, if she were here and, and, and I showed you that picture. But it's a very modest picture of how sick and how, uh, how messy mom's life would become. Because for the next 13 months, what the surgeon ended up doing was removing her colon. For the next 13 months, for the rest of her life, she would live with an ostomy and a, a colostomy bag, if, if you know what that is, taped to her side that would be messy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, it was a desperate situation in our family's life. So grateful for our faith. And for what she taught us in our relationship with Jesus Christ in that moment. It is what got us through that moment. And it is what is still sustaining me today. But today's Mother's Day and it's not a great day for me. And I'm just being transparent. I'm just being real because I'm a guy just like you are. And I hope that you have an amazing day with mom if you're able to do that. And whether your mom is the the meanest mom on earth or she's the greatest mom on earth. If she's still alive, you need to reach out to her today. And you need to express your, your respect for her because the Bible teaches us to honor our father and our mother because it's the right thing to do. And I know that cancer and, and ultimately death is something that uh, has touched all of us in one way or another. And I just want to share with you, before we dive into Luke chapter 7, three simple truths that are shaping my life over the last two and a half years. 
The first truth that we need to have an awareness of today is that life is uncertain. Can I get an amen? If you've ever dealt with a tragedy or an accident, or maybe you've had a diagnosis like mom had that was unexpected, you realize and understand that life is uncertain. You know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We can't go back and change or redo yesterday, but all we have is right now and today. And the scripture tells us that today has enough worries and cares of its own. Why is that? Because life is uncertain. A second truth we need to have an awareness of is that death is sure. Scripture tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. And if we're all still alive uh, 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 while Jesus tarries his second coming, here's what I can assure you today. There's going to come a time where you will take your last breath on this side of eternity and you will walk through death's door. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Listen, I know, I know this is heavy, but we're headed for hope, I promise, okay? We're headed for hope. Um, I mentioned my father's passing in 2004. My father's 59 years old when he died of lung cancer. And I preached his funeral. And the only thing I ever wanted that my dad had to leave me was his Bible. This is his Bible that he carried my entire life. I remember him carrying this Bible, preaching from it, teaching from it, studying in it, reading it to us for, for my entire life. But the reason I wanted um, my dad's Bible was because of his character and because of his love for Jesus and his belief in the truth of the Word of God. And I use it as a reminder to help me understand these three things, that life is certain, death is sure, and eternity matters most. And I kind of have this crazy, uh, I don't know what you call it, fetish maybe, that every time I preach a sermon or a a, a funeral, um, I collect something from the family, whether it's a pamphlet that a funeral home would pass out or a bulletin from a church service, and I tuck it away in my dad's Bible. So this is about 20 years of officiating funerals as a pastor, and It has everything in here from infants who never made it out of their mother's womb to my best friend who at 52 years old left to go to work one morning about seven years ago, kissed his wife goodbye, said, I'll see you this evening. And within three hours, he dropped dead of an aneurysm and a heart attack. It's got senior adults that lived to be well into their 80s and their 90s and had a long, full, prosperous life. But, but it's a reminder to me that life is uncertain, death is sure, and eternity is what matters most. And so what I want to talk about today is, is how Jesus steps toward our ultimate mess. How he steps toward us in our despair. And even when we have to deal with with death, and that's what we're going to see in this encounter in Luke chapter number seven. So if you have a copy of a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you have a smartphone or a a tablet or something, you can click on uh, the Bible there. If not, that's okay. We're going to throw the scripture on the screen for you, and I'd invite you to follow along that way. Okay, so Luke chapter seven, verses 11 through 17, I want to point out... 
some contrasts um, in this encounter that Jesus has with despair and death, okay? So in Luke chapter number seven, the first contrast I want you to see is that there are two crowds that meet that day. Two crowds that meet that day. Verse number 11 says, soon afterwards, after what? After Jesus went and ministered to the Roman centurion and actually raised his servant back to life, okay? Or, or healed her, uh, healed, healed in verses one through 10. It says, after that, he was on his way to a town called Nain. Now, Nain is about 25 miles uh, from a town called Capernaum. And if you remember back in about week one of our current series, Trent told us that when Jesus began his public ministry, his earthly ministry, uh, he kind of had his headquarters in the city of Capernaum. So Nain is about 25 miles from Capernaum. So Jesus sets out from Capernaum and it takes him about a full day until he gets to the town of Nain. It's probably early evening because it was a custom uh, of Jewish people that they actually would bury somebody who had passed away on the same day of their death because of their, of their religion and because of their faith and because of their ritual and their cleansing, okay? So it's probably late in the day, early evening, just before dusk, and the Bible tells us that he was on his way to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd, crowd number one, a large crowd were traveling with Jesus. And just as he neared the, the, the gate of the town, the, a dead man was being carried out, and he was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And here's the second crowd. And a large crowd from the city was also with her. So two crowds met that day. One crowd was headed into the city celebrating. Why? Because Jesus had just stepped toward the mess of the Roman centurion and helped clean it up. And they're celebrating. They're headed in toward the, into the city celebrating. The other crowd is headed outside the city mourning and grieving and despairing. And we could say it this way, Jesus and his followers were headed into the city and the widow and her crowd were headed to the cemetery. And the reason that's important for us to understand is because the Bible has much to say about these two crowds. Spiritually speaking, every single person within the sound of my voice today, whether you're watching us online from afar or you're gathered on campus today, spiritually speaking, every single one of us are in one of these two crowds. Every single one of us are in one of these two crowds. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, if you place your faith and trust in him, uh, you call yourself a Christian, there's been a moment in time where you said yes to Jesus, you've invited him into your life to forgive you of your sins, to lead you and guide you through life, to ultimately uh, write your name in his reservation book in a place called heaven forever. If that's you, the Bible says that you're headed toward a heavenly city that's perfect where there is no sickness, where there is no pain, where there is no hurt, where there is no fear, where there is no despair, where there is no worry, where there is no mess. And if you know Jesus as your savior, you are headed toward a city called heaven. That's great news. Here's how uh, Jesus talked about it in John chapter number 14. 
He said this in John chapter 14, verses one through three, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, talking about heaven, are many dwelling places. One Bible, one translation says, are many mansions. If not, he says, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, here's the promise. I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am there, you may be also. So the good news for Christ followers is when our time on this earth is done, we're headed toward a perfect city that God has prepared for us and wants us to spend eternity with him in. That's the good news. The bad news is, and I hate to be the one to tell you the bad news, but I have an assignment today from Almighty God. The bad news is if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, the Bible says you are already dead in your sins. You are already spiritually dead. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter number three, verses one through three. Ephesians three, one through three. He's talking to people uh, who are Christians, but he's talking about their life before they came to know Christ as their Savior. He says, and you were what? You were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, talking about the enemy and the influence that Satan has in our lives and in our world, okay? He says, uh, uh, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He says, we too all previously lived among them. Paul says, I once was one of those people. I once was lost without Jesus. I once was dead in my sins. He says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So apart from Jesus... We are spiritually dead. That's the bad news. But the remedy for that is a personal relationship with Jesus and an acknowledgement of who he is because he defeated death. He got out of that grave like we, talk, we sang about a moment ago. And because he did, we also can do the same thing. Here's the good news in the second part of that, uh, of that, uh, uh, that passage. Verses four, he said, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us what? Made us alive with the Messiah, with Jesus, even though we were dead in our trespasses, even though we were dead spiritually, you are saved by grace. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift from Almighty God. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gifts. Two crowds met that day. One was headed into the city. One was headed out to the cemetery. Let me ask you a question today, church. Spiritually speaking, which crowd are you in? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are dead spiritually. But Jesus, because of what he did on Calvary's cross, 
And because he resurrected from the grave, has, has paid your sin debt and has offered you life eternal. And we get to choose, we get to decide which crowd we're going to be in. The second contrast I want you to see is that there were two only sons who met that day. Two only sons that met that day. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. Bible says, just as he, that's Jesus, neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. Now, this would have been a big deal for her. This would have, this, to understand this, you have to understand why this was such a desperate situation for her. Number one, her husband had already probably passed away. She was a widow. Okay, and and as a woman in that culture and that society would have meant that because her husband is gone and now because her son is gone, she probably would be marginalized in the culture. She probably would have nobody that could care for her and take care of her. And she would probably have to beg, borrow, bribe and live day to day uh, just on anything and everything that she could she could muster to, uh, to, to, to make a living or even to survive. The Bible says that her only son is now dead. And there were two only sons that met that day because the Bible says Jesus showed up. And what does the Bible say about Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his what? His one and only son. Another translation of that verse says that he gave his only begotten son. And that word begotten is a, is a word that means unique like nobody else. And you know why Jesus is unique like nobody else? It's because he was literally God in the flesh. He was conceived from a, 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 from a virgin. Uh, he, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He predicted his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and he pulled it off, proving once and for all that he was God in the flesh. He was a unique only son. So here's what we know based on the encounter that these two only sons had. One was alive, that's Jesus, but he was destined to die. The other was dead, that's the widow's son, but he was destined to live. And our bottom line thought for this series is that our bottom line thought for this series is that Jesus steps towards our mess to clean us up. But a bottom line thought for today is that Jesus steps toward death to raise us to life. Jesus steps towards death to raise us to life. Listen, I'm super grateful for that surgeon that called me that afternoon to tell me how sick my mother was. And I'm super grateful that he saved her life that day, even though he had to remove her colon and she had to live the next 13 months of her life, um, uh, the rest of her life with, uh, with, with that colostomy bag. And I'm super grateful for her oncologists. And I'm super grateful for her primary care physicians who, who cared for her and treated her and, and, and helped her to live the best life possible. But can I tell you at the end of the day, on December the 3rd in 2020, I got a phone call that no son ever wants to get. And it was my sister about 5.40 in the morning. She said, Brian, mom's going to be with Jesus.
And I had two choices in that moment. I could either let the desperation of the moment make me bitter or I could let the desperation of the moment make me better. And I remembered and reflected back on who my mom, who God created her to be and the influence that she had made in my life and who my father was and his character and his leadership in my family's life. And my mother led me to Jesus as a child. And as much as I appreciate her doctors and her surgeons, they they could not save her from an ultimate appointment with death. But that's not the end of the story. Because there also were two enemies that met that day. Two enemies met that day. Verse number 14 says, Then he, that's Jesus, came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. Can you imagine the authority in Jesus' voice? Because he had the power over death. Young man, I tell you, get up. And look what happened. The dead man sat up and began to speak. The Bible says that death is the enemy of humanity. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26 says, The last enemy to be abolished is Death. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the perfect garden, you know what God's intention for humanity was in that moment is that we would live forever. We would multiply the earth and we would live forever. But God said, oh, you can have everything I've created. You can live for eternity. But he said, stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know the end of the story that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They ate of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said, because you've disobeyed me, you will surely what? Die. And for all of human history, the statistics for death are still one out of one. This widow and her son weren't exempt from it. My mother, my father weren't exempt from it. And listen, me or you either aren't exempt from it either. But it's not the end of the story because Jesus proves in this story that, that death can be defeated. And we know the despair and we know the pain and we know the grief that it causes in our world. But Jesus has already beat death once and for all. Let me read you my favorite part of my favorite chapter in all the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I just want to read you a portion of it. I would encourage you to read the entire chapter sometime today. But listen to what... uh, Uh, what the Bible says about how Jesus has defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse number 51. He says, listen, the Apostle Paul says, I'm telling you a mystery. That word mystery just literally means a, a revelation, an understanding. He says, we will not all fall asleep. That word asleep there literally means die. So what he's saying is there, if we're still alive when Jesus comes back, we're not all going to physically see death, okay? And those of you that are still alive today, we're waiting on Jesus in his second coming and in his return. So if we're alive when Jesus comes back, that verse is true for us, okay? We're not going to have to taste this thing of, uh, of death. He says, but we will all be changed, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and look here, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That incorruptible means they will be made perfect, and we will all be changed. Because this corruptible, 
must be clothed with incorruptibility. What does that mean? He's saying this old earthly tent that's broken and, and, and it's falling apart and it's decaying and breaking down. This corruptible will be, will, have, will be made into incorruptibility. Death can't touch it. Sickness can't touch it. Disease can't touch it. Pain can't touch it. Herd can't touch it. When Jesus comes back, it says, now when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal, again, another reference to our earthly bodies, is clothed with immortality, that which lives forever, then the saying that is written will take place. And here's the promise that we have from God. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's the reason why we can stand in church and say, I came out of that grave. Because Jesus has already defeated the grave. And one day, when we breathe our last breath on this side of eternity, death has no sting on the Christ follower. Death has no sting uh, uh, if you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior because Jesus has already defeated it. My mother, when she was a young teenager in Monroe, North Carolina, in a little country church many, many years ago, placed her faith and trust in Jesus. And um, because my mother placed her faith and trust in Jesus, based on the authority of what God's word says, she's more alive today than she's ever been before in her life. And I know, just as sure as I'm standing here today, and I believe and trust that God's word is absolutely true, then I'm going to see my mom once again. And I'm going to spend eternity with her in a perfect place called heaven forever and ever and ever. And that is the hope that I have. Matter of fact, Luke chapter 7 gives us a beautiful picture of that. And in verse number 15, listen to what it says. Luke 7 and verse, verse number 15. It says, the dead man sat up and began to speak. Can you imagine the mom in that moment? The dead man sat up and began to speak. And look here. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus presented her. He presented him to his mother. And you know what? The Bible says that one of these days when Jesus comes back and he fixes everything that's broken and the ultimate mess that we have made of, of this world and, and our lives and he cleans it all up and he makes it right that he's going to present us to himself. But he's also going to present us to those friends and loved ones who have, have gone before us. Um, and I'll show you a picture of my mom just a few weeks before she was diagnosed with her cancer. This is when she was in New York City. She wanted to go to New York City for her birthday that year. And we snapped this picture of mom. Isn't she a pretty lady? I think I take after her, don't you? But one day, listen, one day, as sure as I'm standing here today, Jesus is going to present me to her. We're going to be reunited. And we're going to spend forever together in a perfect place called heaven, not because of anything that we have done, but because there was a moment in time on this side of eternity that we both placed our faith and trust in Jesus. And death will be just a doorway that opens 
for me when my time comes to where I'll step into the presence of Jesus. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And I believe one of the first people I'm going to see is my mom. That's going to be a good Mother's Day. It's going to be an amazing Mother's Day for me. So here's a big lesson that I'm learning in this season of my life. And this is kind of our takeaway and somewhat of an application for you. Um, the opposite of despair is praise. And it's the reason why we sing songs like we've sang today. And if you notice the theme in the songs today, um, it had to do with death, but it also had to do with resurrection because of what Jesus has done. And the reason we can sing and celebrate is because in those moments of despair, and we don't know what to do, the opposite of that is to do what we know to do. And what we know to do as Christ followers is to put our faith and our trust and our hope in him because he's already won the battle. He's already fought the, he's already fought the battle. He's already won the victory. And uh, it's going to be okay in the end. So here's how I want to close today. In verse 16 of that passage, the Bible says that fear came over the crowd that day. And that word fear there just literally means a reverential awe for this man, Jesus. A reverential awe for what he had just done. And it says, and they glorified God because they said a prophet and that God has visited his people today. And so I want us to close this way with some praise because praise is the opposite of despair. And um, I want to invite you to stand to your feet, if you will, for this last prayer that we're going to pray together. And um, if you find yourself in a desperate situation today, or maybe you're dealing with, uh, with death in some way, shape, or form, a friend or a family member, or a co-worker, a parent, a child, um, let me tell you, here's what I'm learning. The opposite of despair is praise. And it's been real easy for me, been really easy for me to say, you know what, God, I'm just not going to go to church on Mother's Day. I'm not going to preach what you want me to preach. I'm just going to pull the covers over my head and I'm going to have a pity party and I'm going to stay in bed all day. Um, but you know where that got me? I've just been having a pity party. But I chose to come today. And I chose to do what God wanted me to do that I didn't want to do. And I don't know who it's going to help today. I just believe that God's going to use it some way, somehow to help somebody who's in a desperate situation. But what I'm learning is in those moments where there's despair in my heart, in my life, to take it to the Lord and praise. And maybe you need to grab our playlist off of our spiritual growth challenge or go back and watch this message or this service again and, and get the songs that we have sung today. And you need to download it on your phone so you'll have it next time you find yourself in a desperate situation. Or maybe you've got your own playlist. I, I love music and I love for... Uh, to, uh, to express myself in, in music, and I would highly recommend that you do that. But we're going to close today with what I call a declaration of praise. And I want to encourage you to use your outside voices today, okay? And uh, we're going to close our service um, this way together with our outside voices making a declaration of praise to the one who steps towards our mess and helps to clean us up. So you ready? On the count of three, your outside voices. Here we go. Say it with me. One, two, three. God, I choose praise and hope over despair. 
I choose the joy of the Lord as my strength in desperate situations. I lay aside the spirit of heaviness and raise my voice in praise to the living God. Jesus, help me. In you, I find power and hope. Restore my broken heart and set my feet on a path of victory. I have hope for today and strength to complete the course that you have chosen for me. I don't have to live in fear of death because you already defeated it. My hope and my faith are in you alone, my Savior and my King. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today for what he's done? I came across a great reading plan this week that I added to your spiritual growth challenge, and I would highly encourage you to check it out. Um, it's on the Version Bible app. It's called Death Does Not Own Me, and I would encourage you to engage in that um, this week, okay? Uh, I want to leave you with two things. Um, number one, um, we've got two small group environments that start next week. One is called Starting Point. The other is called 40 Days in the Word. Uh, those are some of our 5G groups on campus, and you can sign up for those out in the lobby or online at theepicchurch.com. I also want to leave you with um, some lyrics to one of my favorite songs right now. It's from a guy by the name of Cody Johnson. He's a very popular, very popular country music theologian right now, okay? And if you know Cody Johnson's music, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I've listened to this song over the last week or so probably dozens of times. It's called Till You Can't. And I want to leave you with the last stanza of this song. And if your mom is still alive today, regardless of what kind of relationship you have with her, Scripture teaches us to honor our father and our mother. Let me beg you. Let me implore you. Let me encourage you. Make contact with your mother today. And... Uh, and watch what God might do in your relationship with them and in your conversation. I pray it's an amazing, great day. But here's what this song says. It says, so take that phone call from your mama and just talk away. Because you never know how bad you want to till you can't someday. Don't wait on tomorrow because tomorrow may not show. Say your sorries and your I love yous because, man. You never know. Happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next week. You are dismissed. <laughs>